You are listening to the Photobomb podcast with the world's greatest photographers, Boo Ray and Gary. Welcome to the Photobomb podcast. My name is Boo Ray Perry and joining me as always is Gary Hughes. We're back again, again, again. Again. You you said that like we've been gone or something. We've actually been here more often lately than we ever have. And come to think of it, I'm proud of us for that. You know, we've been the most consistent we've ever been, uh, you know, recently. Even with everything going on in the world, we're we're here for our audience. We haven't left them behind. We haven't we haven't crawled into our despair <laughs> and covered ourselves up with bed We're here because of everything going on. Continually in the world. here. Oh, look, I'm trying to put a positive spin on this. It's not like we're having to rush home to record the podcast. What I'm saying is that not all heroes wear capes. Okay. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah, okay. All right. Not all heroes wear capes. How's your week? Uh, My week is good. Just uh, doing the do, working on uh, bar mitzvah albums and uh, looking at my calendar. I've got my first uh, bar mitzvah scheduled, I think, three weeks from now. Uh, Waiting to hear if uh, that's going to go. That's the first big event I've got on the calendar. I think it's three weeks from now. Two weeks from now, I have a drive-up graduation that I'm photographing. Uh, I have to photograph that. and um, But that's it. Still, the calendar is is pretty bare. And you are starting back up, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, we're in the state of Florida, which is, um, how do I say... I don't want to say we care less <laughs> because <laughs> some of us care very much, but our, our most of our government officials in the state of Florida, they just care a lot less. And so they're they're We're opening up faster than some other places. Uh, and, you know, damn the torpedoes. You know, you got to go with it. Eventually, you're going to have to we're going to have to start doing business again. And so we are we've been getting inquiries this whole time. People wanting to do headshots. And so. We were waiting. We're waiting for phase two of this reopening, which sort of allows places like tattoo parlors and hairstylists and nail salons to open back up again. And that's sort of the phase which we are kind of included with for our individual studio sessions. Except we actually touch people less than that. So, um, so yeah, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be. We've got sessions on the books, individuals only in the studio. Lots of safety protocols. We've got six gallons of hand sanitizer ready to go. I've got the microban really good antimicrobial cleaners we've got a a, a, U- a uvc hepa air filter we're basically going to be like obsessive about cleaning the studio like my mother is about our family room like it's just going to be incredibly incredibly clean in the studio i've got masks my neighbor actually made some masks for us which is cool because I, I was having a hard time finding them online for sale that could get to you within any reasonable amount of time and so we're going to give it a shot. We're going to move slowly, see how it goes. Got about a half a dozen se- dozen, dozen sessions on the books in the first couple of days. So um, we are watching everything really closely during the pandemic just to make sure if there's a spike in cases where we're, we're ready to pull right back again. But we're going to operate as safely as we can moving forward and also do everything we can to pay our bills on time, which would be which would be nice, too. So we're it's no there are no answers to this situation. You know, nobody knows exactly what to do. I don't think so. Caution. Um, health screening for new clients questions. That's what we're doing. So we're, we're going to see. I don't know. We're, we're ready to pull back. Believe me, I got three small children at home and we have elderly people in our life who we love very much and we don't want anybody to get sick. So we're, we're going to be cautious, but we're going to slowly start moving forward. You know, they say in times of uh, great tragedy is when you see the best in people. And uh, this has been the exception. 
I I feel like uh, <laughs> I feel like that I have unfollowed more people in the last month on Facebook than I have in the last year. And what's really bothers me is all the way up the chain um, to the highest level of our government. I can't figure out with with friends and with the governor and with people like that. I can't figure out when they say things and you look at the things or the statistics that they do. I can't figure out. Do they know that what they're saying is bad data or wrong? And they're saying it anyway because they're pushing an agenda. Or are they saying it because they want to protect you from fear? They're trying to make you feel more comfortable. Or are they just that stupid? And more often than not, I begin to believe that they really are just that stupid. And it's depressing to me. And I'll give you a perfect example of this. Uh, Opening up Florida. Listen, um, sooner or later we have to open. Okay, we can't lock the, uh, of, you know, the vaccine could be a year away. We don't know. We can't shut down forever. Sooner or later, we're going to have to have a plan for reopening and dealing with this virus. I mean, that's that's reality. It's great for us all to say, no, no, let's stay locked down. But realistically, it can't go on forever. Um, now, I don't know what that plan is going to be. I don't know how it should be done. I'm not an expert in these matters, but clearly it's not something that we can do forever. So we do have to figure out something to do. But then our governor... When he came out and talked about it, he showed two newspaper headlines. Uh, one said that we were going to be like Italy, and he said, we were not like Italy. They were totally wrong in saying that we would be like Italy. And then the other headline said that, uh, you know, it was about hospital beds or whatever and compared us to New York. We're not like New York. Did we, see, we did much better than those places did. And both of the headlines that he showed were from March, before we ever locked down the state. So, of course, we didn't turn out to be like the headlines predicted because we locked down the state. And this is the thing I keep saying all the time in people on Facebook and everywhere else. I know I'm going on a serious rant, but people keep doing this thing where they compare the predictions that were made before we took any steps. They use that as the metric to decide whether or not the virus is dangerous. Right. And you can't, you can't do that. All those predictions were, those predictions were what they call a virgin population. Was what they were saying. This is what's going to happen if we don't do something. Well, we did something, and it didn't happen. That's exactly what. That's what we were hoping for. <laughs> you know, we we succeeded in stopping this horrible, horrible thing from happening, and now we just have a slightly less horrible thing from happening. But they keep using the slightly less horrible thing as justification for the fact that they were wrong. They weren't wrong. You did. You did something. You you slowed it down. You know what I mean. Uh, and, and I keep seeing it on Facebook. And, I, and when I saw the governor do it, I was just like, because I, I paused the video and I watched, paused the video. I'm like, that headline he just talked about, what is it? I looked, it's right there. It's a newspaper headline, March 30th. Well, we locked down on like what? April 4th or something like April 1st, I think we locked down. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, so I was just, now does he know? I don't know. Look, the, the, the problem is that there are people with agendas. On all sides, yeah. for whatever reason. Uh, I see people on, on YouTube. I see people on uh, Facebook. I see people on the news. And, you know, you just got to do your due diligence and use logic as the information's coming in. The, the undisputable fact is that in the United States, we've had some, getting close to, eight at this point, 80,000 yeah, deaths. It's over 80,000 now. In about a seven-week period. And, and that's while all stay in our homes. For the most part. And so and that is incredible. Yeah, it's the most 
the most instrin- the most stringent and serious antiviral spread uh, stuff we've ever done in the history of the world, really. And we still have yeah. 80,000 dead. And that's and that's four times the amount of your average flu season in an entire year. Yeah. And, and we did and that, that we've had in and we did that. We did that in seven, seven and a half weeks. We did almost 80,000. So like, oh, yeah, but if you strip away the first month or two now, you get yeah, 60. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, you know, and there's another number too. I mean, if we're going down this rabbit hole, (laughs) let's go. I'm with you. There's another number that you really need to look at. And that is extraneous deaths in the country, period. And this This is is something that, oh, I, okay. I I know where you're going, but I just want to qualify this. I truly believe that we will not know exactly what happened for a long time. Yes. Yes. I think it's going to take a long time to sort out the data. It will have to be studied in retrospect. And the people who, when a new headline or a new study comes out and you jump on it to prove your point, you're playing logic whack-a-mole. You have to wait, you know, take the, take the safety precautions. And even if you were wrong and you were overly safe, you know, that's, and it turns out that we were overly safe by some margin, then okay, I can live with that. What I can't live with is if we're overly reckless because we took right. these little data points along a line that's going to be, we're not going to, we're going to be, people are going to be writing books about this. There are going to be episodes of Law and Order about this stuff. Oh, yeah. There's, I mean, they're going to be like, <laughs> this is going to be in the zeitgeist of, 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 the, of the world society for decades. Yes. Yeah. You think, you think 9 11 was in our zeitgeist for a while? This right here, and it's going to, and it's going to be there, like you said, worldwide. This is going to be in every stand-up comedian's, uh, you know, yes. stand-up. This is going to be in every television show. Every, everything that comes out, this is going to touch and change everything that happens. And all of the data from this is going to take a long time to sort out. So if you think you know what's going on, no matter what your position is, you absolutely don't. And the first person who says we still don't know what's going on is going to be a viral specialist in infectious disease. It's going to say we're still collecting data. Right. We are still collecting data. Right. So, right. as you said. Oh, I was just going to say, and extraneous deaths, I, I feel at this point, that's really where we're going to get the real number. And when you look at uh, statistical averages, deaths in the U.S. for the, the month of May or the month of April, et cetera, then when you look at the statistical average and then you add in all this other stuff you're going to have to add in, you know, the uh, plus minus and the, uh, well, there were going to be people who probably more, maybe there were more suicides uh, or deaths or whatever than usual, but maybe there were less automobile deaths than usual. It's something that for a supercomputer and a team of experts. But once you put all that in, you're eventually going to come up with a number that says during this month, we had X number of people die that is in excess of the number of people who should have died during this month. That is going to be the real toll, COVID-19. That number right there. In the same way that they said, what, 66 people died uh, because of the hurricane? They said 66 official deaths because of the hurricane in in, uh, Puerto Rico. Well, in the six months following the hurricane, there were 6,000 more deaths than usual. So, really? (laughs) Because sepsis, suicide, lack of electricity for six months, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that hurricane really killed- food, clean water, medical care. Yeah, that hurricane really killed 6,000 people. You know, but there's only 66 official deaths because they yeah, died 6, during the actual 6,000 people who would hurricane. not have died if not for that hurricane. Exactly. And and that's going to be the real number. And again, that's going to take a supercomputer and a team of economists <laughs> to, yeah. to, to come up with. So I think what you said is great about the whack-a-mole thing. It's like yeah. trying to predict who's going to be in the Super Bowl after the first game of the season. Yeah, we're... <laughs> And that's that's the best analogy. It's like one and no, no, it's trying to pick who's going to win the World Series after the first game. Yes, exactly. Talk- they can't even do it after the All-Star break. OK, they no. can't even do it then. Right. It's you. you they just don't have the data. And, uh, and it's the same thing now. So here, here's here's my advice. 
stay calm. Yes. Do your homework. If an article pops up in your social media feed and it makes you mad or it makes you say, see, I told you, I want you to stop and I want you to research it. Just look it up on factcheck.org or something like that. Just find a couple other sources to corroborate. Take a deep breath. And then I want you to not share it or comment on it anyway. Just ignore it. <laughs> Just do your homework. Keep yourself and your family safe. And if you're going to reoperate your business, do it according to what's legal. And, uh, and, and go. And it is, I am of the opinion that you should go out of your way to show your clients and your community that you are operating as safely as possible. Nobody's going to get a gold medal for being Billy Big Balls and, and opening up their business, you know, damn the man. Nobody's going to get an award for that. You know, nobody's going to get it. You're not going to make an extra 50 grand in your business because of your, your stupid courage. You're going to get, you're going to get a lot of credibility with your clients and with your community by showing that you actually give a crap. That's a really, and, and especially in a, in a f- community business like a photography. So just chill. Everything's going to be okay. We're all going to get back to being overworked and miserable soon enough. Yes, absolutely. I'm not looking forward to it. I have enjoyed this time. Oh, I, know you have. I know you have. <laughs> I know this is, this is, I think, I think that if you could sign a form and take your social security and just cruise and work part time, even part, part time, I think if you could sign a form and go into retirement right now and be financially okay, I think you'd do it. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't go into, who wouldn't go into retirement right now if they could? I wouldn't. I, 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 I'm the, I am the, you're the person that's going to flourish in retirement. I'm the person that's going to either die at work no, or blow my would, brains out. You would work part time and then you would start a band. You know, Ooh, you would, yeah, would. you would, you would start playing music again. You would do Captain something. Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters. There you go. <laughs> I love that band. I love that band. Great, man. I am going to win that blue ribbon. Speaking of music, I had something I wanted to talk to you about. I, uh, you and I had a, a conversation. We were talking about um, celebrity deaths. You know, this week we lost. Uh, you know, we lost Little Richard. Wow, we lost yeah, the king. Just ask him; he'll tell you. Yeah, and and and, and we lost Jerry Stiller. Yep. And, and yeah, and, and so and and we were talking about something, and uh, you know, the things that we, how old your knowledge of things goes. Yes. And, and you had said that your kids didn't even know what disco was. You had to explain to your yes, kids what disco I was, was. I was talking about, because I was reading this great, uh, there's this uh, website called Stereo Gum, and there's a writer on that website who has been writing for now three years, I think, has been writing every couple of days. He is reviewing every single song to go to number one in the top 40 ever, starting in 1958 and moving forward. And it's he's a great writer, and he's hilarious, and I love reading these things. So I was reading about No More Tears, Enough is Enough, by Barbara Streisand and Donna Summer, which came kind of towards the end of the disco era. And Mackenzie, my daughter, is a singer, and she and so I, I was like, oh, well, this is something to talk to her about. So I was like, let me tell you about these two people, Barbara Streisand, you know, Donna Summer, and how they got together. She was the queen of disco, and she said, what's disco? And I was like, yeah. how do you not know what disco is? <laughs> you know how you know you not know what disco is? You're 12. Yeah. That's how you not know what yeah. disco is. If you're yeah. 12, you 14. probably don't. Yeah. 14, and, but then it was just funny because I was like, well, disco is like it's music for dancing. Well, are there any discos today? Well, yeah, they're all discos. But they're just not called discos anymore. They're called clubs or nightclubs. I go, sweetie, any club you go to that has a dance floor and a DJ is a disco. I go, it's just they don't call them discos anymore. But they were called discos in the 70s. And I run into that a lot. Yeah, she didn't know who Donna Summer was. She didn't know who Barbara Streisand was. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm not shocked by that. But so, but here's the other thing that I was thinking. My initial reaction was, oh, she doesn't know who disco is. It was like, I said, get her a copy of or get her the album ABBA's Gold. 
Like, get that album, give it to her. And then I thought, he's not going to physically buy an album and give it to his daughter. I said, you're going to send her a link. And then I thought about all the records and music that, like, people gave me in my life. Like, my dad gave me my first CD. I had vinyl as a little kid. We had that around the house. And, like, the the way that you're going to share music and media with your kids is fundamentally never going to be the same. Like, you're not – most people are never going to give their kids a CD – let alone a record, let alone just a link. Like you're just going to send Mackie a link on Spotify to Donna Summer's greatest hits and be like, check out Donna Summer. It's even better because as I'm having this discussion, I asked the Google machine to play the song. And then when she asked about disco, I was like, okay, well, let me explain what disco is, which led to me explaining who the Bee Gees were, which then led to me explaining how the Bee Gees are the only group other than the Beatles to have the number one, number two, number three, number four, and number five song in the top ten all be songs that they sang or wrote. And then I played all five songs for her really quickly so she could hear them. And at least twice she went, oh, I know that. And another time she was like, I don't know that, but what's that called? And then she punches it into her phone. So now I know that song is going on a playlist somewhere with her. I mean, the ability to share music, if, if they're interested in music, the ability to really share music with your kids is so much better now than back when you had to go out and buy them an album because you can share. And then I went into Frankie Valley and I explained who the Four Seasons were and then December 1963 or What a Night and she knew that song and then took that into, by the way, he also did the theme song to Greece, which was written by the Bee Gees. Frankie Valley, wasn't it? <laughs> Frankie, yeah. Frankie Valley did the theme song to Greece, which was written by the Bee Gees. You know, so we all came you know what, full now circle. Now that you say that, if I'm listening to it in my head, Greece is the word. Yeah, that I can see the Bee Gees writing yeah, that. Bee Gees wrote that. So yeah, so then I brought that whole full circle. For, so for somebody who likes a lecture, like me, that's just wonderful. When I start talking about music, I can just because I can just punctuate everything I say to my kids by, and here's what it sounds like. All right, listen, 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 listen. Your Picard on the bridge of the Enterprise, just telling the computer to bring things up and show them to people on their screens. Yes. It's the future. It is the future. You're sharing ones and zeros with by, your kids. By the way, I have a new, I have a new Picard uh, impersonation. Okay, I'd love to hear it. And so would so would all the bombardiers. We've been watching uh, CBS uh, All Access, right? We mm-hmm. watched Picard, we watched Star Trek, and now we're watching um, The Good Fight, which by about season three really starts to get weird. <laughs> like, like weird to the point where I'm almost not watching it. My wife's like, no, we're finishing this. Okay. Uh, but what they do on the CBS All Access is they show commercials for their own shows and they show the same commercials forever. So I've seen the same commercials for Picard about 3,000 Right, because I don't think that many brands are clamoring to advertise on streaming right. services run by... Yes, the regular commercials that they show are always like, there's like uh, car insurance for m- repair bills. Hi, I'm Ice-T. You know, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> you'll weird. see you'll see this when you're watching a streaming service like CBS All Access or, or whatever one specific to a network, Peacock, whatever, you'll see the same five commercials. Right. And a lot of times it's promos for their show. And so the one commercial for Picard, he says the same thing every time, and I've got it down now. Here All it right. is. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. Scene. Here we go. Life is a responsibility. There it is. That's what he says. He says that on the promo, and I've heard him say it many times. Life is a responsibility. It's a little bit like Sean Connery. It's um, terrible. It is not good. That was that was not <laughs> as good, good as not good actually. That was. It's probably it's, on listen. Par. It's no. It's no Christopher Walken. 
Which isn't that great to begin with. Oh, I mean, Christopher Walken is great. My Christopher Walken is award winning. Yeah, that's your your magnum opus. Yes. Your Christopher Walken. <laughs> Everything comes from. I have Christopher Walken, and then and then uh, Sean Con- my Sean Connery, but it's very close to Sean Connery. Which is uh, he sends one of yours to the hospital. You send one of his to the morgue. That's Sean Connery. Kind of. Still Not- sounded like the same. <laughs> it sounded like it wasn't good at all. They all sound pretty much the same, don't they? Number one, um, I've number got one. to take a number two. He does, he does sound, but really, when you when you listen to the Picard, he does sound a little bit like Sean Connery. But then, uh, you know, he's from England. Sean Connery's from what? Scotland, Scotland, Wales, Scotland. Yeah, so I got a little bit. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know where Picard is from. I don't know where he's from. Where he was in born. the show, he's supposedly French, which is you know doesn't seem accurate at all. <laughs> His name is Jean Luc Picard. That's that's French as hell. Yeah, I think well, yeah, I know where Picard from. is from. I mean, I mean, I don't mean, I don't mean actually. That doesn't ever bother you that the Frenchman that has an English accent. Maybe he went to English boarding school. I don't know. Let's not get too deep into that. You know, I'll 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 look that up on Star Trek Wikipedia later. We'll oh, by the way, you want to watch a horrible movie? Yes, I really do. I watched the Art of uh, Racing in the Rain. This oh, is that's a, with uh, who's in that? Amanda Siegfried is that her name? She plays the woman, right. and then the guy I don't remember his name. <laughs> I love that's her IMDb credit. Mag- Amanda Siegfried, the woman. Yeah, but he, but he also, um, but it's basically it's a story told from the perspective of the dog, and the dog is voiced by Kevin Costner, and it's and it's one of those stories that when you're watching the movie, you're thinking this was made from a book. And I bet the book is so much better than this movie. I'll bet the book is really deep and great and gives you a sense of the animal and all this kind of stuff. And then they tried to make it into a movie and they just failed at it. And despite the fact that you're watching a bad movie, because it's about a dog, I cried twice. (laughs) Despite the fact that it's horrible, just a horrible movie Milo just, Ventimiglia is yeah, the actor. Yeah, I'm just, I was just a horrible movie, and I was like, "Oh, there's a puppy!" I, I, I cried at the beginning with the puppy, and then at the end of the movie, there's a big gotcha moment at the very end, uh, which I won't ruin for you. And I was just like, "This is a terrible movie," and that is so cool. <laughs> that is the entire. That is the entire linchpin of the of the Hallmark Channel. Terrible movie. It's really what it cry. is. It's like yeah. you watch it, you're like, "This absolutely should be a Hallmark movie." Yeah, somehow it got a theatrical release, I guess, or did it? Yeah. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's Milo Ventimiglia. I first saw him in, uh, I think he did Rocky Five. He played Stallone's son. Yeah, thank Rocky you. I, I made that same connection when I watched it. I'm like, where have I seen this guy? And he was in uh, in Rocky Balboa. In Rocky Balboa. He was in Heroes he was as well. The show Heroes, he was there. He did that. Oh, he was. Yeah. Did, yeah. He have, did, he, did he have a power? What was his power? He could, actually his power, and spoiler alert, this show came out in 2005. He had all the powers. He had once he touched somebody, he could, I do not t- even be if he was ever in close contact, he could use their powers. And then there was the bad guy Siler who had to like take a piece of somebody's brain, and then he could use their powers. So they were kind of like you had the two opposing. Well, wait forces. a minute! I thought that that was the power of the guy who went on to become Spock on the new Kirk mo- on the new Star Trek movie. Yeah, that is that Siler. Yeah, he played that. He could eat their brain or something or look at. Oh, their oh brain, yeah, he was the eat your brain that. guy. Right, and then the okay. other guy, played by Milo Ventimiglia, uh, could just be if he came in close contact with someone, he could copy their powers, and so then they could. They both had the same one. One just had to look at your brain to do it. But about Milo, Vent- and he's also in This Is Us, which is a show my life wife right, likes to right, watch and right. cry. Bobby, Bobby watches that. Sure, yeah. The, I, the first time I ever saw just the most blatant product placement ever was on Heroes, and it was when the cheerleader 
her dad. Hey, Hayden Panettiere. Yes. Uh, and her dad bought her a car. It had no. Oh, it was a, was it an Xterra or something? No, like that? it was a Nissan Rogue. And I know it was a Nissan Rogue oh, because he shows up with the car and she goes, oh, Dad, a Nissan Rogue. That's exactly what I wanted. And I was like, gee, how much did Nissan pay for that? <laughs> you know, I was just like, I was like, I mean, she said Nissan Rogue. Here's the thing with product placement, though, is that that would have happened in real life. If that girl really wanted a Nissan Rogue. Yes. Right. But in TV, we're so used to nothing have nothing right. having specific branding because right. you could easily just go like, hey, do you want a cola? Nobody says that in real life. Right. You go grab me a Coke out of the fridge. And but if in a TV show, somebody does it, they go. Oh, oh, yeah. The first time I ever first time I ever noticed was and it's funny. I remember stupid stuff like this. The first time I ever noticed it was in a movie called Seems Like Old Times. I, no, not Seems Like Old Times. It was Robin Williams and Kurt Russell. They played guys who had peaked in high school, and they had a chance to play the final game once oh, again. Oh, the best of times, or uh, so, yeah, something, something like that. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a bar, and in, in the first half of the movie, when they're in the bar, all the taps in the bar are one type of beer, and in the second part of the movie, when they're in the bar, all the taps are a different type of beer. <laughs> so they basically double dipped. They're like, we're going to get Budweiser for the first part of the movie, and we're going to get Miller for the second part of the movie. All I'm like, 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 like four or five or six different taps, and all of them had like Budweiser taps. And then later, when they're in the bar again, all of them are now like Miller. <laughs> I'm like, so they just went wholesale one beer or the other, and they changed it over right midweek. Although, when you think about it, if, if you ever went to a bar in the 80s, it pretty much just had two types of beer to drink anyway. Oh, sure. Like, it wasn't like now. Anyway, so I wanted to say about Milo Ventimiglia being cast as Sylvester Stallone's son. Did they do it because they both have the weird, slopey mouth on the one side? <laughs> I was not going to talk about the Did slopey they, mouth. Is that, I felt that I would be judged if I pointed out the slopey mouth. Is that a medical... It's probably a medical condition, because I know people with like Bell's palsy and stuff like that, and, and it's there's some serious medical stuff behind it. But did they... Like, were the casting, was the casting team, the director, sitting around going like... All right, we need somebody. We need to play some Stallone's son. First of all, he's got to be shorter than Sly because we can't have him be taller because Sly's a star of this movie. Okay, two, he's got to be vaguely Italian looking. Okay, got it. All right, fine. Last name ends in a vowel. We're on it. All right, third, we need somebody with the mouth. Yeah, they got to have a mouth. <laughs> all right, and they put it into a computer. Okay, there are two people in Hollywood that fit that bill. One of them is a woman. Okay, pick the other guys. Call him and see what he's doing. <laughs> I hear there's a writer's strike. He's probably not that busy. Let's get him. That's how Milo Ventimiglia got cast us. I like that you've said his name like four times now, and I couldn't say his name once if I, if I, if I had to. You can't say COVID-19. Yeah, I can't say COVID-19. <laughs> yeah, horrible. Okay, so... um. By the way, that leads me into another discussion I would like to have, which I don't think we have time for. But I'm gonna just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna touch it right here, and we can come back to it at a later time or whatever. And this is the discussion we had last night. My wife and I watching television, and there's a woman on the show who got pregnant on the show. Her character got pregnant, and when that happened, I'm like, she's pregnant in real life. Look at her. And you can look at her, and you can see, you can see things happening, puffiness. You can see. I'm like, she's pregnant in real life, and that's why they wrote this in. And this reminded me of back when I was in radio back in the 90s, there was a big issue where there was a woman who was on a soap opera and she got pregnant and the soap opera fired her and she sued and she won, which led me to having a discussion with my wife, which we will have at a later time, is acting the one profession where your physical appearance, be it 
because you have a slopey mouth or because you have gotten pregnant <laughs> is grounds for termination because it is obviously grounds for hiring you. You have to have a headshot. You have to come in an audition. They don't just, they don't just say, get me a good actor for this role. They, they no, say, no, I've, they, seen, I've seen casting calls. It's like we're looking for a, a man, middle-aged, uh, Latino, athletic build. You right. Know? Yeah. And yet, and yet, and I'm a feminist, but yet women now are allowed to say, you hired me to play the femme fatale who's sexy and da-da-da, but I want to have a baby, so now you have to rewrite your entire show because I want to have a baby. And that's... I can imagine that there have been legal clauses in contracts and procedures for this for for years. I mean, even now, with, with it's probably less of a problem now with the CGI and the ability to manipulate stuff with computer graphics, just because, like they, I mean, they can make you know Kurt Russell look like he's twenty five, like in Guardians of the Galaxy two, and you know they, you know, there's so much stuff that they can do now. I mean, they can make people thinner. They can make Samuel L. Jackson look a lot better in a lot better shape. But again, if you're just doing a TV series, it's a whole lot cheaper just to fire the actress and hire another one. Yeah, if you're doing like a three-camera classic sitcom, they're not going to spend $50 million CGI right. your belly out. So we can't get into it now because there's so many ways to go into this. But it is, you know, discuss amongst yourself because when you start, to, it is, you say no woman should be barred from working because she wants to have a baby. And I agree. However, if you wanted to go be an astronaut on the International Space Station for six months and you were a woman, they would tell you you can't have a baby. And you would accept that. And so in the world of acting, is if you wanted to be a professional MMA fighter, but you also wanted to have a baby. (laughs) I'm just saying, is there a profession and, and is it acting where because acting is a job that you get based in many ways, a large part in how you look, you know, I mean, like being a model. And so choosing to change how you look means you are not fulfilling the contract that you were hired to do. And I know this makes me sound horrible, uh, but it's the only place ever that I would allow this exception. Any other job, of course, if you want to have a baby, well, you can I, have a baby. I would think there'd be something just, one, first of all, there needs to be a woman in this discussion, and that's not Yeah, yeah that's, the reason, that's the reason we shouldn't go down the road, is because there's no woman in the discussion. And, and two, we are halfway through the episode, and we have to, we have to move on. <laughs> anyway, this is a... Drinking at the bar could literally go an hour and a half on this discussion alone with a group. Well, the next time that we're allowed to be at a bar drinking at a convention, we will continue this. We will do that. With any bombardier who wants to join us. All right. It is time for Photography News. Photography Photography News. news. All right. uh, First off on Photography News, the the biggest story that I noticed this week uh, that I thought was the most interesting anyway, was the new Flashpoint uh, light that has been released, which is... A Godox, then, light. Uh, I mean, we know that, right? If it's Flashpoint, it's Godox. Well, we're talking about, I think, the Flashpoint uh, 8300 Pro. Is that the one right. you're talking the about? Ex- the Explore 300. So the light is $500. Now, to put that in perspective, the 8200 is around 300, upper end of 200, usually. Yep. yep. And right. there's a pro version of that now, too. So it's $200 more, which means it's 75% more, 66% more uh, cost. Uh, it has, it's a 300 watt second light, which is, if you look at the 8200, that's a 200 watt second light. 
So you're getting... It's a half a stop brighter. A half a stop, right? Um, it's very small. That That's the thing about it is that I, my first thought when I saw the picture was, was, oh, this is just a little, you know, I like the 8200 because it's so small and easy to carry a couple of them in your kit. And this is too big. But then I looked at the specifications because the picture doesn't really tell you. And it's only seven, seven and a half inches long and uh, three and a half inches in diameter, which, you know, what else is seven and a half inches long and three and a half inches? A river trout. Not what I was thinking about. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose it could be. Yes, I suppose it there, I suppose there are several things that could be seven and a half inches long and 3.8 inches in diameter. And fairly impressive girth. So it also, it is. It's very impressive. And so it, um, and, and, and here's what I also love. And then I'm thinking it also has all this other stuff. I was going to list off stuff that a few years ago, if a light had this, it was game changing. You know, it has high speed sync up to six thousandths of a second. It has a, a full ETTL through the lens metering and adjustment. And there were year, a couple of years ago, that would have been, oh, and now it's like, sure it does. Now, you know, that's nothing for a, a light to have that. All Godox lights have that. Um, so the question is, is it worth them? Is it worth the money? I mean, you, you're going to pay an extra 200 bucks to get a half a stop. I think that you would probably want something like this for a couple of reasons. I think it's a great light. And at the price point, it's obviously Godox is famous for a lot of value for the money. Uh, it's got some pretty unique features. The first unique feature is that it has a color change LED modeling light that goes from 3000 to 6000 Kelvin. So you could use it as a constant light if you wanted to. And you've got a, a modeling light that's going to be much better than modeling light on an 8200. Okay. It's about $300 less than the 8600. And the 8400, I think, is still even, uh, is, is, is significantly more expensive, about $600. And so I think that in itself is cool. I think that it's got, the only problem with that, uh, the LED modeling light, the color change LED, is that you can't control it from the X controllers. It still has to be done on the unit. Um, but they could fix that with a firmware update if they wanted. I do like that once you remove the um, the 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 stopper on the end, the modifier that comes with the light, that you can. It's got a native um, uh, coupler in there from from Godox and other modify other other modifiers like that built in. Where with an eighty two hundred, you have to get the mount to put those right. lighting modifiers on. So anything other than an, something that mounts as an umbrella mount, you're going to have to buy an adapter for. So that Bowens mount is built into this natively, which is cool. So that's another piece of equipment that you don't have to carry. Um, it's got a completely modular uh, light stand adapter on the bottom. So you completely take that off. So you could really get creative with how you mount these lights onto different things. So it's it's got some pretty cool features to it. And to get that extra half stop is, you say half a stop like it's nothing, but that's a, not an insignificant amount of light. So... It's basically one and a half times the power of a uh, of, of an eighty two hundred, and so you know I think it's good. You use you have eighty two hundred, right? Yeah, four of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're starting today. You're building your kit today. Do you buy the eighty two hundred, or do you put up the extra money for the uh, three hundred? The good news is is that I wouldn't have to make that distinction. I w- I would love to have a couple of these in the studio as options. Um, depending on how you like to pack your gear, this is a pretty good, you know, um, cylindrical shape and it's about the size of like a 24 to 70 Canon lens as far as like length and and width. So it'll fit into a lot of camera cases naturally into the spaces that are built for lenses. So it is pretty stinking portable. Um, in and of itself, I do not think that the extra power is worth 200 more dollars. 
But it does have, but as you said, it does have, it gives you more than just the extra power. And my question is, is the extra stuff that it gives you, I mean, for you and what you do, and it isn't necessarily true for, for everyone. I would pick this over the lights, you know, um, over, I might have an 80, like an 8600 in the studio as a main light or a 400. And I would use these instead of a bunch of 8400s where on light for, especially for background lights and edge lights where I wouldn't need that extra power as a key light. So yeah, I would absolutely use these in the studio over an 8200 for sure. And the cool thing is, is that this has a new battery that is built to power this thing with a one second recycle time. And I think you can get 300 or something actuations at full power. If you go down to like a quarter power, you get over a thousand, which is pretty cool. But the battery is is got a better recycle time. But you can also use your the it's backwards compatible with the eighty two hundred batteries as well. So you, if you have a bunch of extra batteries for eighty two hundreds, you may when you buy this, you may not have to buy a bunch of extra backup batteries because you may already own some. So that's actually pretty slick as well. So I would absolutely use this thing. I also I like the way it looks. I think it's aesthetically it's a lot slicker looking than the eighty two hundred or the four hundred or the six hundred, which look like. They're not unattractive, but they're big and boxy. This is really sleek and unobtrusive looking. I like it a lot. It'd be it'd be a great light to have. I think. I yeah, it is a nice looking light. Um, I go the other way on that though. I like the eighty two hundred shape because I can take two eighty eighty two hundreds and stick them in the same space that would take one of these. Uh, and that's what I've always liked about the eighty two hundred is you can just you can just stack them. You know, they don't two two to eighty two eighty two hundreds in my kit do not take up. Any more room than they take up less room than my two hundred than my seventy to two hundred millimeter lens does. Yeah, I think that the the point that you made is good. If you were if you've got if you're invested in Flashpoint or Godox gear and you've got a six hundred, a four hundred, and some two hundreds kicking around, you may not rush out to replace all your lights with these. But if you're looking to get an incredibly portable, uh, you know, off camera light that does high speed sync that has a built-in radio control that does a lot of cool things and you don't have a bunch of lights already, this is a pretty solid option and I like it a lot. I'm oh, it's ex- definitely, yeah, I'm definitely not. The only reason that I would knock this at all is because Godox has already put out such an incredible low-cost light <laughs> at 200 watt seconds to compete. If they hadn't, this would be the new low-cost leader for me. This would be the, oh, this is a no-brainer. This light's fantastic. And its only competition is its own uh, another light in its own brand. Yeah, I think that that's the other thing I read in an article is that the Godox doesn't seem to have any problem cannibalizing its own line of products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they just, in, in my opinion, they wanted to get this out to have something with that LED light to match sort of the the Pro Photo B10, I think, or B1. Maybe it's the B10 that has that same feature. So they they may just be trying to go, you know, tit for tat with Pro Photo as they tend to do. And so, you know, other than that, I think it looks like a pretty solid light. It'd be a great studio strobe for somebody getting started who didn't want to spend a thousand dollars on a, on a pro photo light. Absolutely. Okay, cool. All right. What have you got? Boy, do I have uh, plenty. Now, this is one area where we don't go a lot and not because there's anything wrong with it, uh, just because we don't have a ton of experience with this particular brand, but I want to bring you a Panasonic rumor. Panasonic. Mm-hmm. Bum, bum, All right. Bum. I had a Panasonic turntable at one time. So according to Petapixel, and there's a uh, and Tech Radar also picked up this story, the new Panasonic GH6 is supposed to have a 41 megapixel sensor. And that's pretty massive in a micro four-thirds camera. Think about wow. the Wow. Yeah, think about the, that would be the highest megapixel, highest resolution micro four-thirds camera on the market. 
and you would be able to get with that. Now, Panasonic is already famous for their video quality and a lot of, you know, commercial video shooters, especially people who are doing wedding portrait work, small businesses, not necessarily huge commercial productions, but this is a great running gun, you know, uh, videographer camera with a lot of great sweet little features in it. They will be able to do um, 4K, 6K, and even possibly with that resolution could pull off 8K full frame with this. And this is also a camera that the price point ends up being around 1500 to 1800 when they're new for the body. So, I mean, to get really high quality video out of this sensor, and I've seen this, the GH5 in action, Daniel, who does a lot of our video production and behind the scenes stuff for us, shoots with a GH5. And I've been absolutely blown away with the quality of that little camera as far as the video that it can produce. It's pretty impressive. And so, uh, this impressive line of cameras and to be able to get that resolution out of a camera who, as far as resolution size is concerned, Panasonic has really been hanging back with like 16 and 20 megapixel cameras. But if this is true, uh, this is going to be a, a Sony sensor in it, 41 megapixels, micro four thirds. It could be a, a big, uh, a big swing at the big dogs to get some people who are video centric to stay with their Panasonic micro four thirds cameras. I got to believe it's only video, though, because what's the dynamic range going to be like? I mean, 43 megapixels on a micro four thirds sensor. How small are these megapixels going to be? How, the pixels are going to be so small. There's no way you're going to get a good dynamic range. Well, it, it shoots raw video, which is, you know, again, I, I've seen I the last time I saw the last time I saw footage straight off of one of these was when we did our um, headshot last hair headshots for charity event. And Daniel came and he did some, and it was a dark room except for my lights. And it was, it was low light. And I would say it was probably at least, you know, probably 1600 to 3200 ISO video shooting. And the footage that came off of it was pretty impressive. So, you know, it does a pretty good job, whether that's built into the sensor or an algorithm. Um, I think it, it, it punches above its weight pretty hard. The GH5 does. So I'll be interested to see it. I think that it would be, it would be a stretch but it would be cool if it came out with that much resolution. Essence Magazine is celebrating their 50th anniversary, and so for the cover, so for the cover, they got Naomi Campbell, and uh, she is 50 years old this year. They thought that that would be a oh, I see what they did there. I did thing see. to do. So they got her to do the cover, and she did her own cover shoot at home with her phone. Yes, yes. So and I just I, the sound. Of a thousand voices screaming out in terror. Yes. Yes. And I don't know who, who the yeah. principal cover shooter is for Essence Magazine, but he's got to be like, no, con. <laughs> I mean, there's just, I mean, no, we can't know. This is the beginning of the end right here. She did her own, she did her own hair and her own makeup. And uh, there it is. The cover of a major magazine shot without any professional uh, input whatsoever. Well, I'm a you know I'm generally a fan of Naomi Campbell and and and, and BTW. She looks phenomenal. Uh, she really looks great. Um, I think she's uh, she's very cool, beautiful lady, trendsetter, you know, trailblazer in modeling. Uh, but this is what she posted on her Instagram, and this is the thing that I think is there's some irony there. It was a very special honor and unusual experience for me to be able to shoot and style my own cover for Essence 50th anniversary issue. While it was a sad reminder for me of all the people in media and production who are not able to work due to the coronavirus. Yes. Yes. I know. Yes. 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 Okay. I'm, I am going to have to go out and see if I can find a physical copy of Essence Magazine, this issue. 
and I'm sure it'll be on the on the stands the next time I do a uh, a a run into the Badlands to go to the grocery store. But I'm really interested in the file quality because although phone picture uh, phones can take amazing photos at work, they look great on screens and stuff like that. But to print, I worry something like this in this media because. Just looking at the Instagram post and then pulling it up again on Twitter, enlarging and kind of looking at the photo, it looks like some pretty terrible file fidelity. And it and it's not the overall resolution of the cover photo because you don't see the same degradation in the title, in the typesetting, and in you know in the lettering and in the other graphics. You only see it in like the shadow areas and stuff on the actual photo. Mm-hmm. So no matter how good of the of a of a sensor it is, it's still half the, a quarter of the size of your pinky nail and so it's just going to be a high noise what no matter what algorithms it has because you can pull raw files off of an iphone off of a samsung you know of a galaxy note 10 or whichever one they're on now and if you take away the the noise reduction algorithms these files look pretty terrible they really right, really right. do look terrible so i'm i, I i'd be i'd be real i'm not opposed to the idea because as a professional photographer i'm looking at them going this is exactly what she probably did a way better job than most normal people would do because she clearly well, has a lot of knowledge and experience in, <laughs> you know, he's got more experience in front of a camera than anybody. I mean, really, if you were photograph, if you're photographing Diamond Candle Campbell, what do you really need to do? You know, just say, just go, go ahead, do your thing, Naomi, and I'm just going to click the shutter <laughs> yeah, and that, I'm going to get great stuff. Yeah, that pose and lighting would be very unflattering on almost every normal person. But she looks phenomenal because she's Naomi Campbell. But what I'm saying is she's been 35 years she's been on camera and on sets and, you know, previewing her own her own proofs and, you know, make, being a part of making decisions, what images go where and working with designers and stylists and photographers. There's no way she doesn't know a little bit about what she's doing to get a oh, great Oh, sure. Sure so, she does. So this is, you know, 75% of the equation. What you're missing here is the the execution i think it's at least it looks okay on instagram but if you get up on it i have a feeling it's not going to look so good so this is almost a case for using a professional photographer with professional equipment and i hope that this is mostly because of coronavirus and not, not and this won't have magazine editors going in fact i know that it won't for covers because you know what most photo- most regular working mac photographers who shoot magazine covers don't really get paid very much to do the covers it's sort of like a prestige thing Oh, okay. So they'll get like, you know, you get some photographer who nobody, Annie Leibovitz, yeah, I'm sure she gets paid because she's Annie Leibovitz. But you get your your most, your regular working commercial guys. There are 50,000 photographers that could produce good enough quality to be on the cover of Marie Claire or or Essence or whatever, you know. Oh, I am I am rarely impressed with covers that I see at the grocery store. Right. Well, those photographers, all, if you go to their websites, I guarantee you, they get to show you all of the, they got a page that shows you all the covers that they've done. Right. And so they'll, I bet you that they do the cover for less than what you would shoot a wedding for, for the most part, in most of these cases. And it's a good, it's a prestige project as a portfolio builder. And it lets them go into other projects getting paid very well because of the, the, the clout that they get having shot the covers of these magazines. So I don't know that professional photographers shooting the cover of magazines is in danger, but this is certainly an interesting and compelling and mildly concerning bit of news yeah it is uh, also by the way if you're a nikon fan uh the wait is over they say the nikon d6 is finally going to ship so if you are uh if you've bought a nikon d6 or you want to buy a nikon d6 two weeks from now they're going to start shipping the uh, nikon d6 i know nothing about the nikon d6 first of all i've never understood nikon's 
system for numbering and lettering their cameras. But then I don't really, it took me years to understand Canon's. Do you, do you still understand Canon's? <laughs> yeah, well, Canon's, I understand. If it's a single number, it's their high-end line. If it's two numbers, it's their mid-range line. And if it's three numbers, it's their Rebel series. So the Canon 5, 6, 7, 8, that's their top-end line. The Canon 40D, 50D, 60D, that's the prosumer line. And then the Rebel line used to be called the Rebel, and now it's the 300 or 400 or 700 or whatever. So that's why I finally, and, and the lower the number is, the higher the camera is within the line. So the top camera is the 1D, followed by the 5D, then the 60, 70, 80, like that. And, but it took me years to finally figure out how theirs worked. Do you understand the Nikon line? Like the D6 versus like the 750? Not, no. Mm-mm. Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. <laughs> no, I, I, I really usually know. go by the price and I figure that the price is fairly equivalent to the Canon, you know, so if it's like, okay, so I, I, I think roughly that the Nikon D850 is right about there where the 5D Mark IV is. And that's sort of how I, I base my orientation in the Nikon universe around that. Okay. So most, I, I know that the D700, the D800, 750, 850 are cameras that a lot of my friends who shoot with the 5Ds right, right, right. Are, are using. So that's, that's kind of where I figure. But, you know, hey, you know, that's cool. If you're a Nikon person, this, this, it looks like a, a, an amazing camera. Everything I've read about this D6 says it's, it's going to be all of the D4, the D5s, and the D, I remember the D3 came out, the D4, the D5. Every single time one of these has come out, they've just been, you know, to a lot of acclaim and praise that they're, they're Nikon sort of flagship. So, they don't mess around when they put these out. It's just, you know, not mirrorless, which is, you know, a bit of a gamble. But it might be, is it going to be the last DSLR flagship that they release? I don't know. I really don't. I, you know, we've been waiting to see exactly what's going to happen. And, um, you know, they all the manufacturers say we're still strong on the DSLR. But I just don't, I just don't understand how they can stay that strong on the DSLR forever. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't either. I'm actually going to be doing a a video for my YouTube channel because I've had the the EOS RP, my first mirrorless camera shooting pro with for six months. And some of the things I'm going to talk about the differences between shooting with a DSLR and shooting with mirrorless. There's a fundamentally different way you use the camera. Yes, you know it, it is a shift. It's not just like switching back and forth between them wouldn't be as easy as all that. We had we t- we took the kids up to the studio a few weeks ago to do uh, Charlie, my youngest daughter, to do her seven month portraits because we're doing we do them every month the first year of their lives. And I left my, my no, the batteries to my RP were had died because they've been just sitting around the house in quarantine. and I haven't used them, hadn't charged them. And of course, all my batteries to my 5D4 are still fully charged and <laughs> sitting there for months. So I shot with a 5D4 for the first time in a long time and just picking it up and having to look through the viewfinder and not grabbing the eye focus automatically like it was it was a shift having to go yeah. back to yeah having to go back to shoot that way and so there is definitely a change and at first I did not like shooting mirrorless and now I've grown to where it's what I'm used to and now sure. I shifted back the other way it felt uncomfortable so I don't know that pe- that a lot of photographers are going to want to have a mirrorless and a DSLR in their kit at the same time I think you're either going to go all the way or not, and if you decide to just stay DSLR, I think they're going to stop making stuff for them. They've you know stop production of new lenses, stop you know. So, guess we'll see how it goes. I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to make the shift. I'm I'm waiting to see what's going to happen with uh, Canon. You know, R five, the R six, yeah, the R five and everything. But I'm ready to make the move. I've been kind of ready for a while, but now I'm really starting to get to the, you know, 
okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I want to learn to shoot and use a mirrorless full time and just go ahead and make that. And it's going to be, it's going to be hard because muscle memory, but I mean, you did it. Two weeks, you'll be set. Like yeah. that's it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Speaking of what you can do now with your Canon cameras, this is interesting piece of photography news. Canon has now released a, a utility that lets you use all of its, well, not all, but a lot of its cameras as a webcam. So previously, what you would have to do is you'd have to use the HDMI out from the camera if it had one, and you have to plug it into an HDMI capture device that converts that signal into a generic USB 3 signal. And those devices are a a good one that's inexpensive is going to be 300 bucks. So the one that I have, for example, is a $300 from a company. I can't even, I'm looking around for it. It's around here somewhere. Um, I forget what company. I'll post a link to it in the description, but it's about $300 and it's about the size of a big thumb drive. And it's very frustrating to pay $300 for something (laughs) and have it be so. (laughs) But that would basically convert the signal into a generic USB so that when you plug it into your computer, your computer just sees it as a webcam and you can use it for Facebook Live. You can use it for YouTube. You can use it for Zoom. You can use it for whatever. But other than that, there wasn't really a way without sort of hacking around to get your camera to be your webcam. And now with so many people doing Zoom meetings and so much stuff like that going on because of the pandemic, people are wanting to figure out how to up their game and get better video quality when they're on a video chat. And so Canon has released this um, utility, which I will link in the in the description. It's called the EOS Webcam Utility. The all, Most of its EOS DSLR cameras will be able to be used now as webcams if you download this utility, the 1DX Mark II, Mark III, 5D Mark IV, 5DS, 5DSR. Uh, noticeably absent would be the 5D Mark III, I think. Um, but even some of the lower-end cameras, the Digital Rebels, the SL2, the T6i, the T6, the Rebel T100, you know, all these different, uh, their PowerShot cameras can even be used as webcams. So if you have a kind of a a built-in webcam on your laptop or computer that's not really cutting the mustard, but you have an old Rebel sitting around and, and a couple of decent lenses, you can now, with the Canon webcam utility, make your turn your DSLR into a really kick-ass webcam. So that's it's kind of a neat a neat thing they did. I mean, it is. Just, I have a couple of Canon 40Ds. I have a I have one for my photo booth, and I have another 40D that's just sitting there. I could turn it into a, a webcam for one. Not on the list, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> no, never mind. Like that's funny that the the the, the Rebel T6 can and that the 40D can, but the 40D is way old. Oh yeah, 40D is very old. It looks to me like what it needs to have is it needs to have a good live view mode. Ah, uh, yeah. And I'm I sure think that it has that. it has to be able to use that LCD screen for live view, or else it doesn't work. It's just my guess. That's not what this article says, but. Anyway, it's a pretty cool fix if you don't want to lay out a few hundred bucks for a good HDMI capture device. So that's uh, that's pretty neat. All right. Well, that about wraps it up for this week, doesn't it? Yeah, I think we. I mean, the, it, funny enough, I had a lot. I had more stories, but you know, we just we just got to save some content for another yeah. for another week. Yeah, there's nothing that great. No, uh, we can do it next week. Well, I just wanted to say one time uh, before I have a YouTube channel now. Bure, you inspired me so much. Uh, let me just let me just jump in here. When you mentioned it earlier, I said to myself, as soon as he pauses, I'm going to talk about what. Uh, how great his YouTube channel is. No, you can't and, wait for me to pause. You just got to talk over top of me. And then I forgot to do that. I did not want to seem like I... And it is a great YouTube channel. And your videos are wonderful because they get right to the point and very quickly and concisely teach you what you came there to learn. Right. I've got a the series of videos I'm working on. It's called 3-Minute Tutorials. 
There are currently four out now, another one coming out this week. I've got four more in the can that are going to be released once a week. And it's like three minutes, you learn something useful in Photoshop. And that's going to extend also to stuff in the camera room once I get back in the studio and working. So I'm pretty proud of it and I'm refining the process all the time. So I'll put a link to the YouTube channel in the description. So in your podcast app that you're listening to, you can just scroll down and there will be a link right to the YouTube channel. And I would appreciate your Love and support Bombardiers and uh, subscribe to that because if you don't, I'll, I'm just going to stop doing it. No, oh, there you go. <laughs> you can find us online, facebook.com slash photobombpodcast. That's where all of the conversation and community occurs uh, regarding this podcast. We also have a website, photobombpodcast.com. Gary's website is hughesfioretti.com. So it is. My website is com, and you can email us, questions at photobombpodcast.com. We'll see you back here next week. See you later. Thank you.